Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. I want to thank everybody on YouTube. Uh, I know we have other listeners on other platforms as well, and we thank you for all that you do. But YouTube, we just hit uh, 600 subscribers, so we're super excited about that. That happened last night, so thank you, thank you everybody that has subscribed. And if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure that you do that if uh, you uh, get quality um, out of the programming. Um, so I'm super excited today on the show. We have, um, my very, very good friend. In fact, I would dare say my best friend, uh, author, award-winning author, (laughs) Dick Langan. It's award-winning screenwriter. Oh, yes. I don't think my prose has (laughs) won the awards yet. Uh, Yet. Yes. Very good. (laughs) Dick, welcome to the show. Oh, no. Thank you for having me on the show, Scott. I just, (laughs) just so grateful to be here. Really appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I live halfway across the country, but yeah. Yeah. Now, everybody down here in Texas, please don't hold this against Nick, but he actually lives in Pennsylvania. So That's true. But he's doing everything he can to get down here <laughs> as fast as he can. Isn't that right? I Yeah, I love Texas. Amen. God bless Texas. <laughs> All right. So uh, the reason I asked you on the show, I know, obviously, you, you're aware. Normally, we talk about political things. Sometimes we get into religion and philosophy and everything like that. But, uh, you know, having a screenwriter, uh, uh, an author, and um, I know you do some acting as well on the show. It's kind of, um, let's say, a different move for Impolite Company. (laughs) Um, But the reason that I had you on the show is I wanted to talk today about the importance of culture and the importance of storytelling and how... Really, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, conservatism or traditional Americanism, uh, how, how important that is that for us on that side of, of the political spectrum to pick up and start uh, actually producing content? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say I had no idea this was a conservative podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm a full-blown Marxist, so uh, I guess I'll see myself out. Um it's uh yeah it's really important and you actually were the one to push me uh, into so I, I've been trying to write full time for several years now but I originally I I um I went to school for film and I didn't finish uh, I left and went into law enforcement did that for around nine years and then when I decided to leave I I, I wanted to go back into writing and I've just always loved writing and storytelling and stuff. Yeah. And I've, thank you for your law enforcement uh, service oh, as well. Well, thank you for your military experience. Oh, it's my service. pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for my service. <laughs> um, so I I knew that I wanted to, I just have always loved storytelling. And I, I, I read a lot growing up, but also I, I just love movies and TV. That's what I wanted to do. But I really, I think when I first thought about the idea of leaving you into a full time, I didn't really appreciate uh the culture or as as it's called now and you know at that point you had seen some of this sort of um you've seen a lot of these messages start to creep in I mean it's no secret that Hollywood has been very liberal and leftist for a long time but I feel like it's really the past couple years that it's maybe maybe five years that it's gotten really bad and that it's infiltrated even things that superhero movies and stuff like that right Um, so I really had no intention of 
doing anything like this. Talking to you on a podcast about the stuff, I was, you know, I had that idea. I think all writers kind of have that idea that like, we're just going to sit down and write. We're going to ship off the manuscript or the script or whatever. And someone in magical fairyland is going to make that thing and pay us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then that's cool. And I mean, I don't really have any desire to be in the public uh, space or anything. Mm-hmm. But it became very apparent following some of the stuff that's been going on with schools for the past couple years across the nation as yes. far as, and, and not just the overt stuff um, that gets talked about as far as teachers proclaiming certain ideologies, but just uh, a pull away from a lot of the, the classic literature say that like, I mean, we're not that far apart in age that so like you and sure. I would have read growing up and a lot of the importance of, of story and sort of the stuff that it's been replaced with is just, just garbage on a technical level. And then you throw in the, the ideology that maybe I disagree with. So <clears throat> I make this comparison a lot, but I really, I really felt like uh, Mel Gibson and the Patriot, you know, I really had that idea that I was just going to remain out of all this stuff. And, yeah. and even now I don't put overt political stuff in my writing, but um, just trying to, come to the, the terms of the fact that the dealing with this it's unavoidable sure the, the fight is unavoidable and it has literally permeated there there is no escaping it yeah you know like the so you're either going to be sort of a passive bystander allowing your kids and maybe other kids to be in the schools or, or other people influenced by the stuff or you got to do something about it so so is it fair to say i mean we've we've spoken for years uh we stayed in touch um and uh you know, we talk about, obviously, I'd like to talk about politics a lot. Mm. And, uh, you know, would it fa- be fair to c- categorize you as, um, like, say, maybe five years ago, you were more libertarian, not so, quote, conservative, like, in the traditional sense? I mean, yeah, I, I certainly, ha- like, I don't know. I'm definitely conservative. I, I have a lot of problems with the Republican Party on a political level. But, like, in theory, their ideals are mostly also my ideals. Um, and I tried to stay educated even growing up just because I always had the attitude, well, I live here, so I should know, (laughs) you know, how's the president get elected? Um, you know, but I, I always just thought, am I'm going to stay out of it because I don't, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't want to be involved in that. Right. So, so you are Mel Gibson then, and then you're sitting there on your, on your farm one day and then, you know, some British colonel comes over and tries to kill your kids. (laughs) I mean, literally what happened is I have, I have five children. And the oldest one came home with a book that was supposed to be some sort of, I want to say, Pacific Islander kind of based fantasy mm-hmm. novel. That was what it was packaged as. But um, I'll, 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 I'll go vague on the details, but it was given to her by somebody that made my wife and I question it. And so before, and then reading the back of it, I was like, what the heck is this? And, and then, uh, so we read it before she did because I'm a, you know, mm-hmm. you got to be aware of what your children are being given. And it was just, it wasn't really uh, overt in the sense of it wasn't gratuitous. There wasn't a lot of, I don't know, gore or sex scenes or anything like that. Yeah. But it was just gender ideology doctrine thinly veiled as this awfully written (laughs) fantasy novel 
And that, even though that's kind of a small thing, that was, I literally called you either that day or the next day. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it showed up at my house. Yeah. Um, yeah, no bueno. And so tell me then as a writer, like when you see stuff like that, and I think you, we've discussed this, we've even had issues, uh, for, for example, with some of the say Christian films, you know, what happens to a story like from an author's perspective as a storyteller yourself when, when you try to put message before story, what happens to your product? Oh, uh, that's, yeah. So, first of all, I discussed this on my podcast, The Beggar's Cup. Go check out The Beggar's Cup on YouTube. I have like three followers, but... You're up to nine. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, generally, I just talk about either pop culture or specific things with story. It's pretty family friendly. I don't go crazy. Not as crazy as I'm going to go on this show, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. And... I think the first thing, okay, the first thing that people have to realize is that, and I think that this is where the conservative movement is is way behind, is that the stories that are told are influential on the development of ideals. So, not just the Bible, but um, you and I both read the Iliad, the Odyssey. Yes. Um, have you read Dante? Yes. You've read Dante. I've only read parts of Dante. Um, you know, things like that just great literature is critical, even though a lot of times when you're a kid and you're reading it, you're not even understanding all that stuff. But I mean, I count Tolkien in here as well. Um, and, and not even great literature, but just the thing, the stories that you read and then watch and consume are going to have a great impact on you. I think that conservatives for a long time have ignored that and viewed it as sort of, ah, it's kid stuff. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's woke, or, you know, before woke was a thing, right? Maybe there's liberal messaging in this thing, but whatever, it's just a movie. Who cares if my nine-year-old watches this and whatever. If there's something that I don't agree with, that's ah, just a movie. And I think that's a foolish attitude because for me, growing up, reading a bunch of fantasy novels, reading classic literature, watching Indiana Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Or like that stuff, whether... Even if you're raised in a very religious household where they're very involved and they're they're reading the Bible with you, which is obviously important to both of you and I, yes, that media is still going to be equally important for a young child's development because how can it not? Like if you're a six year old kid and you're watching a movie that's engaging, you know the latest Pixar film or, or maybe not anymore. But so I think that that's the first thing to realize: this stuff is crucially important, and it reinforces or tears down, which is what is mostly being done now, important things. Um, so then when you pile on top of that, the importance of that, the message that you put into something, if you put message before story, you're going to tank your story. It doesn't matter if the message is good. So like, and you see this parallel a lot between liberal propaganda in Hollywood and like the Christian movie industry. They both do the same thing. It doesn't matter that I might agree with the message of the Christian movie. If you're putting that message on top, it basically crushes the story and it still makes it suck. Right. So you're, you're, when you're telling a story, this is going to be mind blowing, but when you're telling a story, the story needs to be the most important thing. That doesn't mean, um, that you can't have, 
messages or themes in there, obviously. And there's some things that I really like, and it's very clear that the themes, I, I would not agree in practice with the theme, but it's still well done art. They don't beat me over the head with it. They don't, you know, try and force anything down my throat. Right. No, I, I mean, I'm going to pick up um, the example, I think, here uh, for probably a lot of my audience can jive with here is I'm going to use Dante as the example. All right. And if you haven't read Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, uh, well, number one, it's worth reading. Uh, you should go check it out. If you haven't, it's not a big deal. You'll be able to stick with me here. And thirdly, uh, I'm going to go ahead and plug one of my favorite um, colleges um, and uh, opportunities for learning is uh, Hillsdale. Hillsdale College has on their website, you can go to free online courses and you can take these courses. You just have to sign up using your email. You can take these awesome courses through Hillsdale. It's taught by Hillsdale professors. They're sitting down in cameras like what we use here for the podcast. And they literally just give lecture series on some of these works. And there is a whole lecture series on the Divine Comedy, which I would highly recommend. I've, I've checked it out myself in addition to reading the, the work. But the book starts off with Dante. He's lost in the woods. And he's, you know, uh, about to die. Um, and the classic author Virgil is sent as his guide. And Virgil takes him down through the different levels of hell, the inferno. There's nine levels. And at the very bottom, there's Satan. And then they escape. But they don't go straight to heaven. They go to purgatoria, you know, purgatory. Mm. And Dante has to work on... Um, himself uh shedding off each there's seven levels of purgatoria there's you know and it symbolizes the seven deadly sins so you know keep in mind this was written dante is a catholic so he's going to be coming from that perspective sure. but he's he's working off this deadly sins and then he gets to enter heaven and he so but the, the whole so it's an interesting story that we're with dante and you're a part of that pilgrimage and you know, it's fascinating to see all of these magnificent sights through his eyes, but there's a message behind it as well. And the message literally is, this is a true conversion to Christianity. This is what you are. When you're about to die from your sin, right? You are lost in the woods. And sometimes, you know, you got to have the, you got to have, uh, you know, uh, the way C.S. Lewis puts it, you got to go down before you can go up, right? Um, but it's all about his conversion experience in a real sense. But as you said, it's the story that's first and foremost. And what makes it great is that it's such a um, universal experience to anybody who's ever converted to Christianity in a real sense that, that makes this book so great. There's always a message when you're telling a story. Right. You don't need to pump that up necessarily. So like even in stuff that is kind of silly or a comedy, right? There's always a message or a theme. Yeah. If it's a if it's a well crafted story, movie, book or whatever. And I think that I don't know. I, I think some of it's like a, an inflated sense of self importance that these people, you know, look what look what I made. So um, but I mean, you've seen this, we've seen this all across everything. And I mean, I stay fairly politically in the know, um, you know, you see this all, it becomes more important 
to show that you're doing something virtuous than to create something good. So I think that's where a lot of it's from on, on the left side of things with, with Hollywood or whatever. It's, it doesn't matter if it's quality. What matters is we got the proper amount of diversity mm-hmm. in the project. It doesn't matter, you know, and, and so. And then on the right, everybody's like, well, I could do what Billy Graham did back in the 60s and 70s by putting this into my movie, by putting this in this TV show, by, you know, I, it's all about the message. It's all about the gospel. It's the gospel, the gospel. Well, yeah. you, that doesn't work. Like, you got to have a personal relationship with people in order to really share that gospel well. Correct. You're not going to be able to use that. I think effectively to a large degree in film and both of them vision the world as how they wish it was. Right. So the left, when they make something, we're going to make a movie about the crusades. We're going to make a movie about the second crusade. And you know what? All of the main characters that are Knights Templar, they're all going to be black and Hispanic women. Because that would just be so diverse and so empowered. Oh, I promised you that I would tell you this on air so we can get your real reaction. So, <laughs> well, I'll get back to that in a second. Okay. So that's obviously completely his- historically inaccurate. Right. You know, we're making a movie about medieval Europe, but we've got a very racially diverse cast. It's not a matter of, it's not that it's bad to have a racially diverse cast in this case, in this example, or that it's bad to tell a story like that. But the problem is, they're envisioning the world as they wish that it had always been, right? We can't, we can't look back on history and say, well, these guys did great things. Yeah, they did some other not great things too, but really that makes the, the great things that they did all the more impressive because even in the midst of a society where, say, slavery was accepted widely, you know, we fought a war to stop it. Right. Like, yeah, okay, there was some bad stuff going on, but we did that. Similarly... The problem with a lot of Christian entertainment or faith-based films and stuff right. is they envision the world as they wish it was. Yes. And so nobody ever says anything more than hell or crap, right? Even if there's violence or some kind of trauma, nobody ever, like, loses their temper, even if they're the Christian character and, like, you know, breaks a table or I don't know, whatever. Nobody, like, everyone who's a Christian is generally framed as very positively yeah. And and everybody who's not a Christian is like a mustache twirling, going to tie you down on the train tracks sort of villain. And so neither one of these things is is true. I know you've harped on like truth, beauty and goodness, but either yeah. one of these things, we watch it and, and you're like, this is not real. So in the case of in the case of the left example, you look at it and you're like, well, you're just stuck sticking this stuff in there to feel good about yourself. That's stupid. And when you look at the Christian stuff, you're like, well, if the circumstances aren't real, then the supposed uh, consequences, consequences, yeah. but also conversion, say, for right. care, what, oh, yeah. then that's not real either. And so you're just left with kind of nothing. So we used to joke, especially when I started writing full time, like I would always joke with you that I wrote another thing that nobody will like <laughs> because I tend to, to try and be realistic, you know? So, um, yeah, maybe some of the faith-based audience will look at it and be like, well, this is just too brutal or this is too hard or oh, he, he said a bad word, so right. I can't watch that. And meanwhile, because I'm addressing maybe faith, and, and I don't, not everything that I write is 
actually, I would say most of the stuff that I write is not Christian in that sense. It's right. just stories. But, you know, I might be dealing with a character who's who's got faith. And then so people that are super anti that stuff on the left are like, you know, we don't want to watch another religious thing, you know. So that, right. that was our joke for a long time. Um, I just like to write things that upset everybody. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's important. You know, it's like, especially uh, I'm going to harp on the Christian side a little bit here. But, more. you know, you know. You look at something like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, like, you know, orcs are bad, okay? It's very clear. And the orcs wouldn't be this dangerous threat. They weren't, like, rolling into Rohan and, like, burning down people's houses and, like, running through the men with swords, right? Sure. If they were just this, like, oh, kind of comical, like, not really a dangerous threat thing, you know... You need that gore. You need that violence. You need that serious tone in order to make that book and movie what it is. There is a, a very interesting guy, and the movie is Machine Gun Preacher. You remember this, right? Yes. Okay. It's not a fantastically great movie, but it's pretty good. And um, I wish I could remember the guy's actual name. Sam something. But he... he has a book, a couple of books out now, but he was, you know, a criminal, a, a biker, I think. He decided, he becomes Christian after he gets out of jail. He ends up going overseas on a mission strip just to build, like, housing in Africa. And he ends up witnessing, I think it's a kid, getting blown up by a landmine by some of these, you know, these conflicts over there. Sure. And he is profoundly changed and and still to this day runs charities and and goes over there and he's got like an orphanage and, and stuff that they've built and he's he's made some claims i don't know if they're true or not but it's one of those stories where it's crazy enough that it's probably true yeah yeah um what he he's known a lot of the local guys that are trying to protect these kids and they call him the machine gun preacher because he'd grab an ak-47 and he'd go out and they'd they'd stop abductions of these children in african villages okay that story loses a lot of its teeth and its heart if you don't show some of the violence that he witnessed because it's that violence and that horror that changes him. Right. And so if we're on the journey with this main character, how are we going to be changed and, and go on that journey with him if we don't see it? And, you know, it's like I said, with a lot of these Christian movies where it's like the sort of come to Jesus moment, the altar call, it's it just feels very forced because... It, the whole thing feels like a facade or sort of a shadow of the truth. So that brings me to an excellent question. What is the purpose of all of these stories? Why bother? Who cares? So what? That's a good question. Well, I think... Uh, do you want my secular answer or my religious answer? I want your real answer. <laughs> I think that um, to make money is clearly the answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I would say that I believe that we are inclined. It's a, it's a human thing to share stories. I think that's probably because we're in a great story. Obviously, I believe in intelligent creator. I believe that. I believe in the Bible, right? I believe that we are in the midst of this massive epic that far exceeds any of my favorite movies or books. Mm -hmm. And so it's only natural then 
like God is clearly a storyteller. Yes. And if we're in his image, then we are also storytellers. This is also why I get so frustrated then when faith-based stuff is not good because I'm like, we should be the best at this. You know, we should be telling the best stories because we actually supposedly have some knowledge of our relationship with him and, and what God is like. And so we should be creating the best art. And you'll see a lot of this if you go back into like medieval and Renaissance times. Yes. Most of the famous artists of any type had a relationship with God. Right? And they, they believed. Like Dante. They, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. They, they were, they were. <laughs> You know, now I know religion maybe was a just a wider spread thing in general in sure. some ways, but nonetheless, most of these the the people that we consider the best, right? I mean, Tolkien, obviously devoted Catholic, Lewis, devoted Catholic. Um, so Lewis was Anglican. I have oh, to sorry, correct you. Anglican. I have to yeah, correct yeah. you. You're right. You're right. Because they wrote back and forth. <laughs> yes. And had some debates, but great storytellers with a relationship of God. That's right. Yeah. Um, the domination doesn't really matter so much to me. No, and me either. So. I think that is the, the purpose of story. I think everything is a reflection of uh, the great story, if you will. And what I talked about on my my podcast when I was talking about it, just briefly about the classics, but I know this is something that we've talked about a lot too, is, you know, it used to be you would read all this stuff. Right. You've read all of these books. I mean, I, like I said, I haven't finished, I haven't read the entirety of Dante, but most other sort of classic books, Greg Gatsby... Um, you know, the Greek stories, uh, I'm actually rereading about Greek mythology, but you know, mm-hmm. the Iliad, the Odyssey, I've never read Gilgamesh actually. That's on my list. That yeah. was the first book ever written. Yeah. But I'd like to, I'd like check to it out. that too. Um, you used to read all of this stuff when you were in school because there was an appreciation. There's more of an appreciation, I think for history, but also history of the story, if you will. And then when you sit down and when you're like, I'm going to be a writer, when you sit down, you have been infused, right, with all of this great stuff. There, there are no original ideas when it comes to storytelling. Right. I've been around for so long. Like, you know, you can come up maybe with a unique take on certain things, but there's no original ideas for story. But if you have that basis of the classics, it will influence even when you don't know it. In fact, you hope that don't really know it. Because things are always better, I think, when they come out naturally. So, not that I'm going to give too many details, but you were the one that pointed out, we were talking about a TV show that uh, we're working on. Yeah. And you were like, you know, this is basically just the Divine Comedy. Right. You, like, outlined it. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. But now that you're saying it, yeah, I guess it is. I did that, you know. So, I think that um, one of the things that concerns me is that you see some of the stuff coming out now and it's, and it's at every level, by the way. And, and again, this is something we have to realize uh, as conservatives. It is at every level as far as the infiltration of any sort of traditional values, uh, ideas of heroism, right? Self-sacrifice, uh, being special. It is at every value, uh, level. I mean, even things that a lot of conservatives would look at and be like, who cares? Right? Like even... Uh, the video game, the role-playing game industry, totally infested with these people that are trying to destroy everything. Like, oh, yeah. you want to be a heroic knight? Well, that's bad. Why don't you be a non-binary, you know, whatever, multi-hair-colored orc that's just misunderstood in your game? It is at every level, and it sounds ridiculous. Right. But it's there, and that stuff is actually important, I think, and adds up. Well, and that goes down to the very 
essence of what it means to be a leftist, what the left is trying to do. Uh, I, I like to call them uh, neo-Jacobins, all right? They're literally the, the new uh, Jacobins, the Jacobins being the Soian uh, philosophy, political theory uh, from the French Revolution. We're going to tear down every institution in our society and remake it because, you know, everything's tainted and, and bad. If it comes from, from before, if it has anything to do with, you know, the America that we all grew up with, like that's bad. So it has to be destroyed. Like the, the Jacobins, for example, this is probably the best example. They, they totally destroyed their, the calendar that everyone else in the world uses. Okay. Mm. Um, and set up their own brand new calendar because the old one smacked of papacy and it's just, you're, you're putting too much on, strain on the society. It can't handle it. And that's why, you know, the streets of Paris are running with blood. And then all of a sudden they wake up one day and Napoleon's emperor of the Republic. So this is, <laughs> this, so I told yeah. you, I'd, I told you I'd give this to you on air. Here we, this is a perfect way to introduce this. Yes. Okay. There's a movie. I think it was just released. I will not watch it. Um, it's called the woman King. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it focuses on, it tells the story. Now, keep in mind, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm a history buff in certain areas of history, but this is not one of them. Okay, yeah. but it focuses on the Dahomey tribe in colonial age Africa. Okay, who in history, and um, actually Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire uh, did a hilarious segment on this. This is where I first, and then I started looking into it. Yeah, uh, sweet baby gang for life. But the. <laughs> um, the 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 history of it is that the Dahomey tribe were ruthless. Uh, so it's a black African tribe. Yeah, ruthlessly captured and traded slaves to Europeans. Sure, okay? made their whole emp- I don't want empire, but their whole society right runs on the abduction and selling of other humans of 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 other Africans. Right, they were so wiped out in history by some of these interactions that they were forced to then recruit a lot of the women to be warriors because obviously at this time in culture, that was not a prevalent thing. Right. They didn't have, you know, have a whole bunch of tribes of entirely women warriors. We're talking about the 1400s, 1500s, AD. Uh, I think a little bit later, maybe even that, but yes. So that's the history of it. And then they end up getting into a fight with the French. Like things don't end up going well for the Dahomey tribe. Okay. Yeah. Eventually like, yeah. because the Europeans obviously we, talking superior firepower numbers whatever yeah they have now made this movie starring viola davis which is really disappointing because i actually really like her as an actress um, yeah where they have rewritten that history to be that this is a noble group of uh african warriors in this tribe mm-hmm. they are so progressive that they recruit women for warriors oh, it's, as, it's, as the bodyguards of the king because obviously a five foot five, hundred and ten pound woman is going to be superior in combat to a six foot four, two hundred and fifty pound man. Uh, I don't know if you've watched this movie. It's, it's really popular. It's called Avengers Endgame. Uh, <laughs> have you seen that? There are uh, women from Wakanda that I would not mess with. Well, and uh, not only is that progressive, but also they're totally against slavery in this movie. They oh, are, they, they, ha- are re- they would have to be right. Yeah. They're repelling the French, uh, invaders scourge, you know, uh-huh. because they have to save the true 
enlightened nature of, of this tribe. Okay. That, so I think that ties into exactly it's, it's, we have to rewrite everything. Well, I have a problem with that from a literary point. I mean, aren't they, they're making the, 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 the problem is they're taking up uh, the concept called the noble savage, right? And uh, that's wrong too. So that's a sin on you. Shame <laughs> on you. Shame on you people. Sorry, well, go ahead. Everything is wrong. I don't know if you know. <laughs> Unless a certain group of people does it and then it's totally fine. Oh, I'm kind of unclear on these rules. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Pretty much no matter what you say on this show, you are definitely wrong. Um, on this show? Yeah. Oh, Jeez, I'd hate to be rude. <laughs> By that standard. Yeah. So I, I, I try to be polite about it. Yeah. Now, I didn't know this, but, you know, there was a time when the whole, like, idea of, of color, like, you know, the 90s, really, mm -hmm. like, colorblind casting and stuff, that was a legitimate thing. Sure. I didn't know this, but Morgan Freeman's character in The Shawshank Redemption in mm -hmm. the book is actually, like, a red-headed Irishman. That's why he's called Red. Oh, okay. Okay. They cast Morgan Freeman. Right. No one cares. Right. Yeah. He did a great job. The he movie's great. Right? I love yeah. that movie. Yep. But I think we've just, the pendulum has swung so far with that kind of stuff. And now we're, we're rewriting history. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's not, it's not being marketed as fantasy, right? Right. Like the thing that flashes before this trailer comes up is based on true events, which always means, by the way, this is totally not true. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but what happens then? People go see that and they're like, well, Oh, that's true. This was... Yeah. Okay, I'm sure they exaggerated the action, but oh my gosh, there was a tribe of women, you know, basically Amazons right. in Africa. That right, I can equate that with like another Morgan Freeman movie, Glory. I mean, that. I mean, so the 54th Massachusetts was a thing, so obviously this was a thing too. Right, right, yeah, exactly. right, yeah. And <laughs> it's very deliberate, obviously. All this stuff is very deliberate. And if you question it, you're a racist. Or a, Wait, I'm a racist? Or a homophobe or a bigot or whatever. Oh. That's right. <laughs> so I think that, um, yeah, that, so st story and culture is important. Now, we are starting to see a, a backswing on some of this. Obviously, the Daily Wire is doing some stuff. Yep. Um, I'd like to see some, or Breitbart did the uh, My, my Son, Son Hunter, Hunter movie, <laughs> which is I, is on my list of things to watch. Breitbart, uh, Breitbart, Texas, if you guys oh, happen to be watching the show, good job on that. Yeah. We, we loved that. That was great. The only thing that made me mad about that was that I didn't think of doing it first. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, it's... I'm sure Alex Marlowe is a big fan of uh, Impolite Company. Oh, how could he not be? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you're seeing some pushback, but we're, we're late to the game on this one, and I think some of it was just that it wasn't viewed, I think, as a sort of adult problem, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? It's mm -hmm. kind of like a lot of the attitude when, when, when people go out and protest dumb things. Most responsible people who have differing beliefs, you know, like, we got jobs, we're, we're, we got to work. Like, I'm not going to go protest something necessarily if I, you know. Mm-hmm. But the uh, but the left and the other side is is very good at mobilizing people, especially and, young people who and, don't have all these particular responsibilities. Yes, and so for too long, I think a lot of this stuff has been just sort of like, oh well, it'll work it out, right? How many times have people said that about college students? Oh well, this is this is not real. But you know what? When they get out of college, the real world's going to hit them, and there, it hasn't happened. It's not happening. Like right. It's not how it's working because the institutions on this side of the aisle are literally trying to rewrite history and restructure 
everything about culture. So, so how do we fight back? Uh, we make good stuff. What would be an example of something that you think would be really powerful, a really powerful story to tell that would fight back something that you would like to maybe write? Well, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, so, okay. So I'll start, start broad and I'll get specific. I think that the Bible is even from a secular perspective, chock full of outstanding stories. Yes. And it's great if, literature. Even if you just want to look at it as literature, mm-hmm. comparing it to Greek mythology or, or Gilgamesh or whatever, mm-hmm. there is a ton of stuff in there. And we need, again, we need to let it be what it is. So yeah. a story that both you and I really love and, um, I had a comic book, yes, which will hopefully be re-released soon, um, uh, about King David, sort of before he becomes King David. But I'm, that story is great. As somebody that grew up loving like Robert E. Howard Conan stories, that story is on par with any. Okay, maybe not like you know grammatically and mm-hmm. literarily, mm-hmm. but as far as the structure of the story, that story could have been. You could have taken that out, changed all the names, and made that a Conan the Barbarian story, and it would be. Awesome. Yeah. Never been done justice. And I, th- and, and this gets back to what we were talking about before, uh, angel studios who they are most popular now, I guess for crowdfunding and running the chosen, which mm-hmm. I do actually think is a really good example of how to take a biblical story and, and do it as a TV show. Right. But they're crowdfunding for an animated David movie. And the minute that I saw that, I got irritated <laughs> because yeah. Of course, I understand wanting to share these stories with kids, of course, but they have changed. Of course, David's like a, not like a little kid per se, but he's probably younger than he actually would have been in the Bible. Yeah. He's kind of a boot, a doof. He's got a, a sheep animal sidekick and I'm just going, oh my gosh, this story is like, like I said, it's like Conan the Barbarian. Right. Um, this is a, he, he's a brutal, boring time for Israel. Uh, he kills Goliath and then chops off that guy's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he goes out and kills a bunch of Philistines and gets their foreskins. Yeah. Uh, that's in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this is the good guy, you right. know, like the king. I, is it him or is it because uh, doesn't Samson do something like that, too? But yeah. You know, the king is like, I need 100 foreskins. And David's like, I'll get you 200 <laughs> Philistine foreskins. And he comes back and he's like, well, I guess you can have my daughter to marry. <laughs> like, that's in there. And I think if you were to approach that and handle that, a lot of those stories, uh, they've made several attempts at the David story. They've all failed for one reason or another. Abraham and uh, getting Lot when Ab- he's kidnapped. Yep. That's a great one, yep. too. I have a, a draft of something mm-hmm. for that. Um, I would like to tackle Samson. I... <laughs> I, <laughs> go ahead go ahead and tell the foxes i know you want to tell uh i uh, um i i watched the the samson movie that was released a few years ago yeah that's all i'm gonna say about that um <laughs> it's just but again it's because it it doesn't feel like a lot of these core things it comes down to they don't feel real and so then if it doesn't feel real you heard of the uncanny valley Mm-mm. The Uncanny Valley described like if you're watching something, your eye, it's very hard to fool your eye with like CGI in a movie. Okay. You always kind of have a sense that like, 
even though it's on film, it's this weird thing, right? But we just kind of have an like ah, that that's not a real person. It doesn't have real weight or or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. It can be done. Obviously, there's been some some technological advances. There's a similar thing in story, right? We, certain things we hear it and we're just like, nah, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's not real. You know, yep. it's supposed to be uh, a gritty redemptive story, right? And the the terrorist henchmen are like get on the ground, you fool. Or like they say stuff like that instead mm-hmm. of whatever they would actually say. And we're just like, that's not how that would go. Right. These yeah. terrorists are not concerned about like not dropping the F bomb. <laughs> right? like I will shoot you right now, but you better d- gosh, diddly darn believe I won't cuss. Yeah. And yeah. again, you don't get to make the world the way that you want it the way. And not only do you not get to do that, but you're totally cut hand- like, hamstringing your own story then because it has no meaning right i think you and i would both look back at our lives and say that a lot of times we found the most meaning in some of the worst times in our lives like sure. that's when you you know you're tested or some of the some of the stuff you have to go down before you go up right right and what does your choice mean if it's not hard you know yeah. so um so bible stories that would be great. I would love to, to do that. I think they are doing some of that stuff mm-hmm. at the Daily Wire. Like, I think Andrew Clavin was writing, like, a miniseries or something where they were covering some Bible stories. So that that might be good. I don't know. Um, uh, you and I have talked extensively, and I, I wrote the first two episodes of a show about the American Revolution. Um, yes. Which I would love to get into production uh, now that's that's a that's a big ask because that is this is the thing you were like this would be cool and 72 hours later i had written the first script because that's <laughs> that's how i roll so anybody that needs writing done i'm i'm down like i can get stuff done fast but um there is a ton of stuff as i i found stuff that you didn't even know and yep. you're an expert on this stuff so sure. like doing research and okay what about this i mean there there is just you could not ask for a more sprawling epic of sort of modern times. No, and I mean, forgive the pun, but it's such a truly American story. Sure. Like, uh, you know, it's things that you think of, like typical American personalities, like what we love to root for the underdog. And, you know, America's taking on the greatest military power on earth right both in uh in, in terms of naval power and uh you know in their army as well uh it's just it, it is the quintessential american story and there hasn't been a lot in in history what we look at is uh it's called historiography you know what is the the what have other people written about this in in film it's a similar it's called filmography sure um and when you go through the the filmography of the American Revolution, we're talking about the entire story. How many? There, I mean, it's it's such an untapped potential. Um, anybody know? I mean, anybody watching this know who Nancy Hart is? I didn't know who Nancy Hart was before I started mm-hmm. researching this. But um, you know, I approach things a little bit differently than you. Obviously, mm-hmm. when I'm looking at, it, I'm like, okay, we got to tell a story. And you know, in that example, we talked about doing it basically like Game of Thrones in right. that, not in the gratuity sense, but in that Game of Thrones has a sprawling cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Some people that kind of stay minor characters, some people that like grow in importance in the story. And it was the same thing. So I was like, well, I need a sprawling cast of characters. Obviously, you're talking about the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. George Washington's going to be 
in yeah. there. But even he is way more interesting than your high school history class is telling you. Right. Even he is kind of a, a really interesting character. And, um, I mean, some of the other founding fathers, they're just nuts. <laughs> yeah. They're completely insane, right? Like, like, well, we have such a respect for somebody like Benjamin Franklin, but like... Benjamin Franklin was probably the oldest uh, of of the founding fathers, and like he's just a complete ladies' man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, John Hancock is legit a pirate, right? <laughs> right. Like I'm reading yeah. this, and I'm like this, and and this is something, this is something I just maybe it's a gift. I feel like I can often read about somebody, and I can kind of understand how they would be. Right. That's like a strength, I think, of my writing. So I'm reading about something. I mean, Paul Revere, like. Paul Revere is a shithead, okay? I don't know if you know, like, growing up, they're like, oh, Paul Revere's ride, right? And, yeah. like, and I'm reading about this guy, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a train wreck. Of yeah. A hu- like, it's just- they make him a lieutenant colonel, and he uh, actually is in charge of the biggest loss of the American Revolution yeah. to the point where he was literally court-martialed <laughs> over it. Um, yeah. yeah, side note, Jack Black, if you're watching a play company, I'd love to have you play. Paul, Paul Revere. Revere, yeah, uh, absolutely. His famous silver engraving, mm-hmm. right, of the Boston Massacre. He just stole that from another guy right. and then made it worse. You know, it was originally more of a sort of accurate depiction. Mm-hmm. He's like giving the British evil smiles and like adding blood and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, there's just so. Uh, you know, I look back at this and I'm just like, man, this is awesome. Like, what a great. And that's the thing is, you could tell, the truth. Warts and all. Mm-hmm. I still think America is the best country in the world. Oh, I still think these guys were heroes. Yeah. But, but come on, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the drama and stuff or the, the drama, the comedy, the, you know, the real, I mean, you know, and we got into when we were doing research for this and uh, talking about some of the, some of the slaves that were freed and became mm-hmm. heroes in the American revolution. Like there is just stuff there that I never learned about. Mm-hmm. And you're like, especially as a teenage boy. Yeah. I would have thought all, I would have eaten this stuff up mm-hmm. instead of being like, oh my gosh, history is boring. Right. And, you know, we see, I think, with something as successful as, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the importance that Marvel used this idea of the origin story of every single one of their, like, key characters. You know, if you started with Iron Man and then. You know, you had the Captain America in World War Two, mm-hmm. and then getting frozen and merging back out. Um, and you had the Thor movie, and I'm trying to remember the others, but you, you get my point. You you had these independent movies where you had this origin story for each one, and then they came together in this magnificent, you know, Avengers movie, mm-hmm. you know. And it, that really worked out well. And, and you see the importance that an origin story can play. Well, you know, as a historian, this is why I encourage you to write this, like... We're looking out there right now. We have the 1619 Project. You know, as, as you said, the left is, re- is trying to rewrite history. And it's not even like, you know, uh, talking about stuff like Nancy Hart, for example, uh, you know, where, you know, yeah, it's, it's history that's existed, but we're, re- we're bringing it back to light and everything like that. that that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, no, that's not what they're doing at all. They're trying to totally rewrite history to the point where, it isn't true. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's false. Um, and I think the origin story is a very powerful tool here to fight against that. And that's what I think uh, this project is, is it's America's origin story. If, if, as we talked about at the beginning of the, of the episode, 
if if we've gotten rid of all the important classic literature and you don't know and this kid doesn't know who they are mm -hmm. right because everything that they're being fed is garbage you're not being given quality films or books and then on a macro level what do we know as like of ourselves as a country and what what, what does that mean for us because have you ever i mean i know you're not on social media a lot and i'm really only on there to do writing stuff mm -hmm. and communicate with people about that but there's this guy that he puts up these tiktok videos and they're hilarious but they're also just terrifying because he will just like go to times square mm -hmm. and he'll just ask people very basic questions generally about america right yeah just stop random people and just be like how many states are there in the u.s 56 yeah right. i mean but seriously <laughs> right like who was the first president you know like i mean again i'm not nearly as learn it as you are in a lot of like the details especially of american history but like you know <laughs> you got the basics down yeah 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 uh mm -hmm. what's <laughs> what's the capital of the united states i mean there's stuff that these people you know they just don't know and i think that it is important that they know but then i think that the entertainment industry comes in because whether you like it or not it's much easier it's much people to get people invested in something that's entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, if I say to somebody, Hey, I'm going to show you like an epic two hour movie. It's going to be awesome. Or I'm like, or you can sit and look at this college lecture. You or I might be at the point where we're like, Oh, I want to watch the college lecture. I'm curious what this guy has to say. Right. Sure. But, but it's like exercising, you know, you don't just start by going into the gym and deadlifting a thousand pounds. You, you have to like <laughs> learn the form first right. and then gradually slowly build up. Or running long distance, you know, yeah. you just go out and run a marathon the first day and then you can't walk. Like, right. this stuff is no different. It is much easier to get people to come to the to the theater, the table, whatever, mm -hmm. with something that they're going to enjoy. And sure. that's just, I mean, that's part of human nature that I think, do I wish that everyone just did the right thing or wasn't interested in the right stuff just because it was the right thing? Yeah, of course I do. But... Again, I don't get to make the world exactly in the way that I want it. See, so uh, yeah, I think something like that. So the Bible story is that. I mean, I got a couple other things. Um, Robert Smalls. Robert Smalls in the Civil War, mm -hmm. uh, who is just a just. I mean, like probably the greatest story of the Civil War that I found. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that doesn't know, look up Robert Smalls in the Civil War. It's it's crazy. He was a, a slave in the South, obviously who got who had some uh, marine skills piloting a boat uh so he got pressed into service with a group of other slaves and he was basically the pilot of this boat but of course the confederates wouldn't let an african slave <laughs> or you know an african-american right. slave be the the pilot so he you know but he did everything for them and they would drop mines along the southern coast and he built up a good relationship with them and then one day uh one night ends up when they put into port, he built up enough rapport with the Confederate officers that they leave him and the other slaves on the ship and they could have family or conjugal visits when they were home with their mm -hmm. wives and their families and stuff. And so they, they got all their families together and they bounced and they booked <laughs> it. He, you know, and they stole the code book so they could pass cause they had to pass by a lot of these Confederate forts and give the proper hand signals. So he literally disguised himself. He, he took like the captain's hat and coat and put it on. So he looked and, um, some accounts, although we don't have a lot of information about certain details, because as it turns out, the Confederates weren't really keen on the fact that they... <laughs> oh, they didn't write that? Yeah, they didn't really, uh, they didn't like that they were bamboozled, you know? So, 
But, um, you know, this guy rescues all these, these slaves. They get by, they don't get blown out of the water. They don't get, they, they, by the hand of God, they don't get blown out of the water by the union when they approach the blockade. <laughs> right. Right. And he pretty much immediately surrenders the ship to the union. And then was, is like, all right, I'm going to fight for you guys now becomes a pilot. They, they appoint him, mm-hmm. you know, he engages in, in cleaning up a lot of the mines that he planted, <laughs> right? Cause he knows where all, where they all are. Right. And engages in a couple uh, military engagements. And then after the war becomes like a successful businessman. And I think one of the first black Congress people, if I'm correct. Yeah. yeah. And so um, and w- what political party was he? He was a Democrat. No, he was a Republican. What? Um, Are you sure? That doesn't sound right. I thought Republicans were racist. Yeah, well. Oh, but that's my I, mistake. I read this, you know, and you know what? It is? Somebody put some stupid thing on Facebook and they're like, I've seen a hundred superhero movies, but no movies about Robert Smalls. And I just happened to be like not doing anything. And I was like, who's Robert Smalls? <laughs> so I look it up and I'm like, holy shit. Like what? Why has no one made this movie? Yeah. What a great film. I mean, and so then I sat down and wrote a TV show about and it. And you sent it in to, to somebody from what, uh, from one of the major networks or whatever. And they got back to you. And what did they say? And this blows my mind. This is the entertainment industry. Folks. Um, they said, uh, what was that one? They were like, this is really good. There's a lot of potential here. It's an incredible story. I'm not really sure what tone you're going for, though, so we're going to pass on this project. <laughs> and I was like, like this is fantastic. This meets uh, everybody's expectations. Like conservatives will love it. The people on the left will love it. Like it answers everything. No one on earth is going to have a problem with this story except mm-hmm. for like, you know, David Duke, but yeah. screw that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we're not sure about the tone, so we're going to pass. Okay. Great like, idea though. Uh, I was like, all right. <laughs> um, but honestly, I mean the same thing with independent. So the, the show is independence. I mean, I, yeah. I pitched that to a few, uh, before we started considering alternative mm-hmm. methods of making it, I pitched yeah. that too. And it was the same thing there's a real lack of interest in American history. There's a real lack of interest right. in American heroes, mm-hmm. particularly if they're not white. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality that that I found. Nobody wants to touch their stories. I don't think it's because they wouldn't be successful. I think anything like that would be fairly successful. I have um, I've pitched this idea of independence in particular to like lots of different people just inside conversations. I've never met anyone. Even people who like aren't really big history fanatics or anything like that, I've never met anyone who was like, well, "That sounds stupid. I wouldn't watch that." Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think it goes back to that people just don't want to be involved. Yeah. Because we're we're rewriting every every bit of history. So, um, to answer your question, this is a rambling answer. We talked. Well, no, you asked me a question, then you asked me another question. You mm-hmm. said, "What what do people do?" Um, mm-hmm. You got to make good stuff. And I think this is some an area, and this is not just a pitch for people to fund whatever projects I want to fund. Although sure. that'd be super awesome if yeah. anyone wants to no, do if that. If you have lots of money and want to <laughs> give it to us to make this stuff, yeah. like, just get a hold of me, all right? Um, I think that conservatives have to get better at mobilizing people, and we have to recognize the importance of this stuff. You know, is tax law important? Sure. Yeah you're not going to get anybody super excited about that. Right. You're just not, I'm going to give, I'll give you like, I know we got to wrap up soon here. I'll give you one final example. There was a, um, and this is not even exactly a liberal thing, mm-hmm. but there was for anybody, I'm sure most of your audience is not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. So I'm going to explain it. There's a group of people 
that years ago, they're voice actors. They started playing Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and they started filming their Dungeons and Dragons game. Okay, just kind of see what it was called Critical Role. It blew up in part because Stranger Things came out, and Stranger Things has some D Dungeons and Dragons stuff right. in it, and it was culturally at the time it was the right time. Right. In part, just beca- dumb luck. Yeah. In part mm-hmm. because these guys are all voice actors that have done a bunch of video games, so when they're like acting out characters, like it's certainly higher quality than most things like this. And I think there people were just like, oh, this is different, right? So it blew up. I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands or millions of viewers they have now. Mm-hmm. They decided to crowdfund a cartoon, an animated show, like an adult animated show, based on one of their storylines from their game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, professionally written and cleaned up because, you know when you're playing a game with your friends or whatever, it's even if the idea for a cool story is there, like it's not the same as writing a script, right? Sure. So they hire, they get some buddies in the, the entertainment industry. They write a script or whatever. They had a goal of like, I don't know. I want to say like $2 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get $2 million in 45 days for the Kickstarter, we'll make this TV show. Well, it'll be eight or 10 episodes, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They mobilized their fan base. They raised like $12.5 million <laughs> in like 36 hours. And, and and it was just people giving a few bucks here and there. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure they had a few big donors. But yeah. for the most part, it's just people like you and I that are like, I'll give five bucks to that. That'd be cool, right? Right. We can't do that for like... Independence. A story about right. a, an American... You know, or anything. Yeah. Any yeah. sort of quality entertainment. Like I think we have to get a lot better. You're seeing people do it. Right, Daily mm-hmm. Wire. Um, Eric July just did his own, like, launched his first comic book. Yeah, really yeah. attacking back at some of this wokeness that has uh, really destroyed mainstream comic books and stuff. But this is what I mean. I think people need to understand it's at every level. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about Dungeons and Dragons as like just a, a sort of passive nerdy hobby with a bunch of comic books, right? Oh, mm-hmm. kids just read comic books. It's at every level, man. Yeah, your kids read the comic books where Superman's gay now and making out with uh, dudes and uh, saving the planet from basically conservative business people as a supervillain. So, like, y- yes, your your kids read those comic books. That's that's what is being given to them. Mm-hmm. So I think that calling it out is important, obviously, but also people just got to start making stuff. And people have been complaining about this stuff for years. Yeah. But it's time to... Well, that's how we fight back. Right. Yeah. That's how we fight back. Um, and it's really super important. I, I can't express to you guys enough how important the culture is. And I'll use a, a historical example. Um, ancient Greece. All right. There are two main city states that we recall off the top of our heads as Americans from just general knowledge base. And that's Athens and Sparta. And, you know, if you ask the average person who won that war, everyone's going to say mm, Athens. Sparta kicked their teeth in and took their candy, okay? Sparta won that war. But we, when we think of Greece, we think of Athens. Why? Because Athens dominated the culture. And that's what's important here. We need to dominate the culture as well as Americans. This is why the American Revolution story that we were talking about has never really been told. Uh, There's not a lot of filmography in it, right? Is that it never really had to be told. We all knew it growing up like my my parents generation definitely knew it i grew up knowing it. your generation knew up like it's starting to get a little shaky you know when you're going through school and now like no one knows it 
No one really truly understands what's going on there. And so that's where we need to strike right there is that that's why uh, that's sort of, you know, what I think about why I pushed you into that uh, idea of writing uh, independence. But ultimately, you're right. It's we do have to capture the culture and it's not just in storytelling movies and film and everything like that. It's it's music. It's other art mediums. It's it's every part of culture. Um, I mean, as a student of history, I know. You know, warfare has changed, obviously, over, right. you know, we're, we're not tribes of people hitting each other with Stone Age axes anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not lining up on a, on a battlefield, shooting muskets at each other mm-hmm. in a line file, you know, uh, modern military stuff. People keep being like, oh, we're going to be in a civil war. Yeah, it's here, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's here. It And I'm not talking about from a violence standpoint, obviously, but. No, culturally. Th- they are trying to. The, the one side is trying to propagate this ideal and it has been uncontested for far too long. And it's not enough. It is important, but it's not enough to say, Hey, they're, they're doing that. Right. There, there also needs to be alternatives because again, whether we like it or not, I think most people are kind of, they're in their own thing, right? You got your own stuff going on. Like if you're not in the political sphere, you're like, ah, well I got to work a job. I got to feed my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's why you're seeing a lot of this pushback in schools is because they finally crossed the line. Right. Targeting people's children. And now it was it showed up at the doorstep and they're like, yep. well, hold on now. You know, I didn't sign up for any of this, but that's how far it had to go. Right. Before people started doing stuff. I think we need to realize as from a cultural, you know, with media and everything. We're, we're there. Right. <laughs> like and yeah, saying, hey, we should you know, some somebody should do something about this. Like, well, that's good. But um, you, you have to do something about it. Right. I, I would argue that there is a moral obligation to get involved in this thing if you care about this country. Because the only way that this is going to self-correct is if there's legitimate competition. Yep. If there's nobody to unseat Disney, then mm-hmm. Disney's just going to keep doing what Disney does. P- again, people are like, oh, well, at some point the market will correct. Not if there's no viable alternatives. Right. There, there needs to be, and I, I know it's going to take some time, right? Sure. So like we could just go out tomorrow and make, make our own version of Disney. Yeah, we're taking you down, Pixar. That's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> but um, if there is legitimate competition, mm-hmm. they will change. Right. They will have to. They will have to. They don't have to change right now. Right. You know? And I think that that is the key. Like. Right. A, We've said several times on this podcast, people are doing it, but there needs to be more. And there is no reason. There's no reason that more people aren't getting involved in this thing. Yeah. No. And I applaud people like the daily wire. Um, I'm glad to see Breitbart starting to get into this, uh, blaze. You guys got to do something too, Glenn Beck, (laughs) you know, you got, you got to pick up the ball here and, and it's, you know, your new stuff's great. Like all, all, all three of those, you know, Breitbart, Daily Wire, Blaze, they all have great political commentary and all that, but like the art and the culture, that's just as important as the other stuff. And I say that as a political podcast host, guys. All right. So, well, we are out of time today. Wait, I didn't get to say any like horribly offensive things. Uh, well, you did. I think you, you pushed the cuss line a little bit further than any other guest. So thanks for that. You're fucking right. I did. <laughs> Jesus. Tim, you're going to have to bleep that out. All right. Uh, well, we're all out of time today. Nick, thanks so much for coming on, man. And we're going to have to have you on again. 
Yeah, stay tuned. We've got some cool stuff. And check out Nick's podcast, The Baker's Cup. It's it's chock full of, it's not just D&D nerd stuff, uh, even though he has some of that stuff in there. But he does talk about culture a lot on there. And, uh, you know, he just started it and it's a growing podcast. But, you know, give him, go over to The Baker's Cup, uh, hit that like button, hit that uh, subscribe button. Let's, let's give some attention to this uh, person who's obviously a deep thinker as well and cares just as much about the political stuff as he does the cultural. Yeah, there's a... If you're interested, we talk about pop culture stuff, but I also like to talk a lot about like breaking down what makes something quality. Um, I try to keep everything in layman's terms, though, because I know, you know, I'm not a literary guy myself. So. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, Nick Langan, thanks so much. And we'd like to thank Dockline uh, Studios for hosting us and, and this wonderful space. Uh, the Dockline has everything that you need for your business, uh, whether it's search engine optimization or uh, building a website or advertising in print or uh, traditional media. Uh, give the Dockline a, a call or find them on Facebook or you can just uh, look at them at the Dockline.com and they will hook you up. All right. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Thanks again for subscribing. Over 600 subscribers. Uh, let's keep the success going. Hit If you haven't, hit that like or subscribe button down there. Make sure you do so. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Impolite Company. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.